Hey everyone, I'm Josh. And I'm Dan. And you found your way to the Last Vestige podcast. Named after a music store we went to in college to dig through cheap and used CDs in search of new music, each episode will take a deep dive into an album front to back. We'll share our thoughts on the music and whatever other interesting stuff we can dig up on the album, the artist, or anything else we come up with. No music theory or music experience is necessary, and no recording or genre is off limits. So whether you're making your living as a musician or just looking for a conversation to put on in the background, we hope you'll find something here for you. What started as an excuse for Dan and I to call each other and geek out on music became an excuse for us to start a podcast. Welcome to Last Vestige. So Q, what album are we looking at today? We aren't looking <laughs> at an album. We're looking at ourselves. Oh. No. <laughs> I know. So, uh, yeah, I we've talked about this for a while now. We kicked the idea around even before launch of doing some kind of zero episode talking about how this all came about. And I don't necessarily know if this is that episode. Maybe we'll see. But mm. what I did want to do is just talk about what we've been listening to on our own and just oh. kind of our general music interests and stuff because we spend so much time deep diving into albums and talking really strong focus on stuff. But we listen to a lot more than just the one album every two weeks we listen to for this podcast. Sometimes deep dives on albums for this podcast drive me way off into left field for something different because I need to break it up. And so I just kind of wanted to talk. Yeah. Did you want to go over musical history in this one or as well because i know we'd kick that around first i think i want to just talk about how the podcast has been going so far okay i think that'd be interesting i want to hear if you've gone back to any any albums we've listened to what your thoughts have been on albums talk on some of mine yeah let's see i (laughs) Actually, I haven't gone back to much, which is funny because I I listened to a lot of Nonagon Infinity before we did it for the podcast, and I feel like I'm now taking a time out on it. <laughs> Not because it was bad or anything, but like yeah. I don't know. I guess for listeners, like I do most of the editing on this, so after listening to it a bunch, talking about it, and then editing myself and you talking about it. <laughs> I don't, it's not that I don't want to go back. I just like, don't think about going back. You just kind of feel like you need a, need some cool downtime on it. Yeah. Um, what I have done is gone and listened to the cutting grass versions from, of all the songs from meta modern that wound up on those albums. Oh, what'd Um, you think of those? Those fucking rule. Those are really good. I thought that album as a concept was, or those albums, cause he's got, two albums so yeah for for context Sturgill simpson has two albums out called cut and grass and they are bluegrass versions of songs that he's previously recorded now i don't say bluegrass in the sense that they feel like complete departures but they're acoustic renditions with some bluegrass instruments and they yeah they're awesome yeah he's got legit really fun super talented bluegrass musicians on there yeah well i mean he i know in looking him up for the intro it seemed 
like he's done bluegrass in the past. Like it's not even outside of his wheelhouse. No, he start. I believe he started playing bluegrass. Yeah, that's probably the most like going back that I've done, which that was really cool. It was very cool to hear those like reinterpreted like that. Yeah, no, they're they're great. I did just like two days ago get in gifted on vinyl. <laughs> okay, so that one I did go back to. Yeah, no, that that album's awesome. I have not specifically gone back to it yet, but I know I will be because it just sounds good. I also found, I think she did an Apple Music at Home or something. Oh, yeah. Version of a couple of the songs off that, and I wanted to check that out. Nice. How about you? You going back to anything? So, yeah, no, I actually haven't really gone <laughs> back to anything. I I think in asking this question, I've uncovered an interesting byproduct of the podcast, which is that I listen to this stuff and then I need a break from it. Yeah. And it's not even, at least for me, it's not even because I dislike it in any way. But yeah, I do feel like we're diving in so deep and trying to spend a lot of time with something that afterwards you're like, all right, go over here for yep. a bit. Yeah. It just kind of needs some time off. Yeah, for sure. But it's been it's been interesting so far. I wanted to do this also just to kind of touch base to ask general questions like, how do you think the podcast is going so far? We have recorded 12 episodes up to this point, which is funny because, yeah, so six will be coming out Wednesday, two days from now, (laughs) which gives kind of an impression of the the gap in our recording versus launch a little bit. So, yeah, which is fine. It's good. I. I've been trying to plug that people should like share it or interact with us more. I wish mm-hmm. that would happen. Um, but also I'm bad at social media. So, you know, yeah, I hear that. I had this thought of doing an episode like this, putting out, Hey, who has questions about what it's like making a podcast or anything like that. But I kind of hesitated. Um, I hesitated to do that because we aren't going to record this episode and then immediately put it out. Yeah. It's going to be a while before it comes out. And also, I feel like most of the people that I would reach out to or that I would post a question to probably haven't listened to the podcast. Mm. So I don't know if I would get relevant questions. Mostly what I'm saying is it didn't feel like the right time to do that. I get that. But I, I agree that Interaction from people, word of mouth, that sort of thing, I think would be helpful. Yeah. But that said, neither of us are super, super into the social media. So it's yeah. that we need to do that to really get the thing that we're saying we want. So true. That said, we've got pretty solid average of like 25, 26 plays on everything right now. So thank you to those 25, 26 people. Yeah, definitely. And if you've started listening since we recorded this, then thanks to you too. Yeah. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's been work putting this together. Dan, I have to say, has put in a ton of outside of recording time work that I'm super appreciative of. Yeah, and it's kind of fun, honestly. Good. I think we've we're learning a lot. We're learning as we go here, but it's 
been fun and interesting. Yeah, I've gotten way quicker at editing, so that helps. <laughs> the Black yeah. Album edit took forever. <laughs> also, that said, it looks like Meta Modern episode is coming in at like 56 minutes instead of over an hour. So if you're like wanting to share an episode, I had fun on that one and I thought we had a pretty good discussion. And if somebody's turned off by the length, maybe that's the episode to share. No, that's a good point. I thought Metamodern <laughs> was a, a a very good one. It was really interesting. We it was the first and only episode where we tested live reactions. Yes, I don't think that really made it in. <laughs> Even better. <laughs> do uh, do we mention the song? Yes, that was that was the wild part about it. I oh, I'd link to that video. Yeah, it was just crazy. Yeah, it's I weird. think I actually heard that song. A week or two after we did that episode when I was in Chewy's. Yeah, and oh, I have to shamelessly plug, if you're in Dayton, Ohio, Sandy's, who works takeout at Chewy's, is the best. Absolutely the best. Cool. So, moving on. <laughs> oh, also shout outs to Kevin Laredo, who is rad as hell and keeps resharing our posts. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Kevin. But yeah. I don't know. I'm actually, it's kind of fun that this was actually more of your plan though, because I've been going through like a big, I kind of like unsubscribed from a bunch of the podcasts I was listening to because they just weren't doing it for me anymore. And I've been just listening to way more stuff. Also, because turns out when you do this, you have to have album picks and I want to come with interesting picks. <laughs> Scrolling through my recent listens is bizarre. <laughs> um, that's one thing that I've noticed is I think in 12 episodes, I approach picking albums much differently. Mm. Initially, I wanted to kind of stumble upon stuff or give a try to things more haphazardly, which didn't work out so well a couple of times. Mostly once. Yeah. But also, in me picking an album that I thought I really liked and would be fun to do a deep dive on, only to find out that deep diving into an album that you listen to purely for like car background noise doesn't work out so well always. I mean, so. but that wound up being a very interesting conversation because of that fact. Like, that's true. That's sometimes true. things work really well in one context and do not work in another one. Which is a really fun segue. I think I might have texted you about this, but I saw this band over the weekend called Horror, but all of the R's are nines. Yeah, um, that threw me when you first sent it. When you first, <laughs> I saw the text and I said, okay, you saw a band. What is this? <laughs> yeah, they're like a, the, the two biggest influences are hip hop and metal. Or okay. not metal, punk. Um, okay. Because when you said hip hop and metal, I started immediately thinking of new metal and was mm, no confused. No, not that. Okay. Um, more along the lines of like Nine Inch Nails kind of industrial okay. metal. Okay. Yeah. It's oh my still God. It's kind of hard to shake new metal when you say Nine Inch Nails industrial and hip hop, but I'll get past it. Nine Inch? Is Nine Inch Nails new metal? No, but when, when you take like nine inch nails industrial and throw mike shinoda's vocals over it you kind of end up with new metal yeah 
Yeah. It's just the the evolution. Because, you know, we went through the Nine Inch Nails industrial and grunge phase. And then music got kind of lost and decided to do what it did. Music got kind of lost. But so, you were talking about horror. Yeah, they are an incredible live act. I've now gone back having seen them live, and I'm digging their recorded stuff a lot more. But man, I was not super into their recorded stuff before. I just knew that they put on a good show Hmm. kind of thing. And I always find some value in, like, even if you're not super into a band, it's fun to go check them out. Because worst case, you can say, yeah, I saw them and didn't do it. (laughs) Yeah, no, I feel that. That kind of reminds me of, like, Mindless Self-Indulgence. How their album music, you're like, okay, I mean, it's very energized. It's okay. And then you see them live and they are just punk absurd all over the place. These guys definitely take some, take some cues from that kind of live show too. Okay. It's, it was a live drummer and then two guys. Okay. One of them came out in some sort of giant like fucked up witch's hat okay uh a dress a polka dot dress with a giant misfits hat a patch on the back mm-hmm. and below the nose joker makeup okay at some point while i was in the pit the hat got changed out for a welding mask with leds on it cool i don't know when that happened mm-hmm. that pit was intense yeah just super fun show super fun pit the other singer really loves just jumping into the crowd without a lot of warning never got dropped though pretty solid record it was that was that was a super fun show so they're they've been getting big recently like Corey taylor did a song on their last album with them Hmm. they were but other than that i'm gonna mispronounce a lot i've been listening to a lot of i've been going down like weird spotify playlist rabbit holes recently (laughs) just pulling stuff off (laughs) <laughs> so apologies for mispronouncing like all of this but uh kikagaku moyo is i believe a japanese psych rock band hmm. kind of king gizzard adjacent but more there's a lot more funk on there okay um so that's been fun uh, the who just put out a new single that's the mongolian metal band some danny brown because mm-hmm. he's good um, and I saw him. Shevbu. At some point we're gonna do probably Tirowin. Okay. But there's a great style of music called like Toreg mm. that's like African psych rock, <laughs> basically. Okay. And it is hella different and like really inspired by a lot of Middle Eastern music as well. Mm-hmm. So they're one of them that I just found in a playlist. Oh, yeah. And then Angelique Kidjo, who I saw right before I saw Horror and Danny Brown, (laughs) (laughs) which is a very weird double bill. She's like an Afrobeat artist that got pretty big for doing a cover album of the Talking Heads Remain in Light. Okay. But like Afrobeat, it's real good. Sounds interesting. Yeah, it's really good. Hmm. I would check that out. We might do it for the podcast, though. Sounds cool. It was one that I found in a record store and I put it on on my headphones while I was browsing other records and then I immediately just like made a loop back, grabbed it, (laughs) and continued browsing while listening to it. (laughs) I love going to the record store with 
a lot of time and headphones so i can just kind of hey what's that i own it now <laughs> yeah no that's pretty great oh yeah and then he got a shout out in atlanta so isayo tomita who did like classical music symphony covers on synths in the 70s what yeah and not like i don't know if you ever heard switched on bach um but that's the example i always think of for that kind of thing and i find that album super fucking boring yeah because he's not doing anything with the synths Hmm. and most baroque music is really i find it kind of boring unless it's played by really like good high level musicians Mm -hmm. i get that at that point i think it's very easy to play and i played a lot of it kind of coming up i mean at least you're coming from a standpoint of having first-hand experience with it you're not just saying yeah anything wise yeah and there's a lot of new and nuance you can bring out of it if you're able to do that but also that doesn't happen a lot of the time so switch on Bach is absolutely that album where you're like this is very boring so i was a little hesitant to like check this one out but then they got he got a shout out in atlanta Mm -hmm. and i listened to it and he's doing like wild shit with the synths like he's playing the music straight up but it's also picking more interesting music like he did all of holst's planets uh he did stravinsky's firebird he was doing like claire de lune I imagine yeah. you could do some really interesting stuff on those with synths. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of like weird radio sounds in the planets and stuff like that. Oh, that sounds good. <laughs> yeah. Cool. And the Firebird one, I think he might just be humming part of it. Really? Yeah, I really want to sample it. There's a really cool vocal line. Like it sounds like a vocal line. It might be a synth. It might be through like a vocoder or something. Mm hmm. But yeah, he's just like humming the part. Hmm. And it's a super eerie moment because it's already kind of a strange bit in that. Uh-huh. And then hearing like a voice humming it all reverbed out and stuff is just like it hits real good. It's that's really eerie. <laughs> Cause that's that's interesting because most of the humming that I'm used to hearing in instrumentally kind of stuff is from like acoustic guitarists. Like Tommy, mm. Tommy Emmanuel and some jazz guitarists do it, but like Tommy Emmanuel does it a lot. He'll be playing along and he's, he's a finger style guitarist. There's actually a really interesting Ted talk where he describes how he does his essentially one man band style of guitar playing where he does his bass picking with his thumb to play moving bass lines while also finger picking melodies and slapping on different spots of the guitar to get different sounds for drums style. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. I love it when people do that stuff. Yeah, it's a really cool TED talk. Um, but Tommy Emmanuel, he hums a lot or will kind of sing along with what he's playing. Mm-hmm. But it's just more scat kind of like ums and ahs and stuff like that. So that's what it makes okay. me think of, but it's not affected at all. It's quite the opposite. It's more bleed over onto the guitar mic from him just, you know, being a foot away from it. Yeah. That was, that was really fun to find. That was kind of an album where I listened to it and was like, man, if I had found this album in high school, this, I 
might be like a very different <laughs> musician. It's funny when you find stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, because I eventually came around. I don't want to say came around to synths. Like, I didn't dislike them. Mm-hmm. I just always found them kind of prohibitively expensive, and I didn't play keyboard. Yeah. And then you have the daunting part of having a whole weird knob interface on top of all of that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But having been getting into synths recently, they're real fun, and you can do a lot with them. Yeah, it's funny some of the things that you find that you struggle with when you're younger. Like, I remember struggling with just amp settings for guitar stuff. Like, if you yeah. don't, you you have two options. You can either just, like, crank the knobs all over the place and just kind of hope for the best. Or you can spend hours and hours and hours trying to dial in your sound. Oh, the thing I do. And your mids and your treble. And no teenager is going to do that. No. Also, it turns out basically as soon as you crank them up because you actually get to like a venue or the place that you're practicing, it's going to be different anyway. Yeah. It all (laughs) So even though that is the thing that I do, you then wind up like, I know when I got my new app, I immediately wound up making adjustments as soon as I got to the practice space. Once I turned it up, I was like, or like once you start playing with the band too. Yeah, that's true. Because sometimes you're like, oh, this like, you know, heavy scoop here just like doesn't work. Yeah, we talk about this on albums when you start to get instruments that blur together in ways that make it so that you're drowning everything out. Yeah, I mean, that came up on our very first like recorded talk with uh black album yeah some of that guitar tone does not sound good until the rest of the band comes in and it's intentional it's just you want that one very strong frequency peak so it's interesting yeah because what sounds good when you're playing alone typically doesn't sound good with everybody else so when you're kind of crafting your tone at home once you get in with the band you find yourself having to cut a lot of other frequency stuff out Boy, howdy. So, that's interesting. But no, I mean, I agree that there are a bunch of musical influences and different things that I probably would be a completely different musician today if I had found them earlier. But there's also that thought of if I had found them earlier, would I have been interested in them? Yeah. I'm not sure. Staunchly opposed to the idea of being a fan of John Mayer for a very long time. Until I listened to his live album, Where the Light Is, just based off of a recommendation from a friend of mine. Actually, it came down to I was house sitting for somebody and they had the small Bose stereo systems. The They're supposed to be like they fill a whole room, but they're only yeah. the like half the size of a record player. Yeah. Um, and so my friends, Noel and Trish, I was house sitting for them. And because they are the nicest people in the world, their house just you instantly feel at home and have no problem. Also, they tell you you can, but have no problem like mm-hmm. looking through their CD collection and then throwing it on, on their stereo <laughs> and all that. And so nice. they have great taste in music and I'm rummaging through their stuff and find a two disc set where the light is by John Mayer that starts with four or five acoustic songs. 
then a blues trio set for another six or seven songs, and then a full band set. And I'm still mostly of the opinion that you're going to figure out how good or engaging a musician really is, either by seeing them live or at, at least as close as you can get at that point, listening to a live album. So I was like, okay. I really like Nolan Trish's taste in music. A friend of mine that plays guitar keeps telling me I need to check out John Mayer <laughs> and that he does some great Hendrix covers. I'm just going to sit on the couch and listen to this through a good stereo system. And it's going to be my either make or break John Mayer moment. Mm-hmm. And I was really impressed by what I found. And so from that point forward, my opinion was changed. Um, it was my it was my last vestige before last vestige. <laughs> I did a deep dive on it, but no, it was there was a lot of like really intricate guitar playing and stuff, and the songwriting was better than I expected. It wasn't all "Your Body Is a Wonderland." In fact, that song, I don't think it even appears on that album. I forgot he did that song. He barely ever plays it anymore. Yeah, I saw him live in San Antonio, and he was about to play a song called In Your Atmosphere, which only ever also appears on that live album where the light is. Uh, and he waves his guitar tech off, who is bringing out the different tuned guitar to play In Your Atmosphere. He waves him off and he goes, you know, I know what you guys want. You guys seem really into the hits. So, I'm going to play you one of the... I'm going back and I'm going to play one of the hits. And he started playing Your Body is a Wonderland and I was like, oh, okay. I guess. Mm-hmm. And there was the obligatory screaming from middle-aged women. It happens at a John Mayer show. And then mm-hmm. later on, he posts his set list on Facebook. And I saw mm-hmm. what got waved off and was very disappointed because it's a way better <laughs> song. I do like an artist though who like granted you need of enough of a catalog to do this. Yeah. So that's always a tricky thing, but can like read the crowd and make set adjustments on the fly. That's impressive to me. Oh yeah. No, that's definitely impressive. It's also a far cry from a criticism that I've heard from you, which was on the where the light is live Blu-ray DVD, whatever mayor plays with a lyrics prompter. Okay. And I remember talking to you and you saw that at one point or like I had it on in the background when you were over or something. You're like, Mm -hmm. he's got to have his lyrics in front of him for all his songs. Really? That's lame. I don't remember that. What did you say? You don't remember? I don't remember that. (laughs) I get it a little bit more now, but also come on, man. How much you play those songs? I only see it kind of from the standpoint of or not only, but I saw it from the standpoint of like, you're recording a sprawling live album and one or a sprawling live show and you're not doing like some bands do where you compile a couple different takes from a few different shows to have the best ones like yeah. if you're doing the whole show one take that's it that's what you get <laughs> i don't know maybe you throw the prompter up there just to be safe yeah i guess i didn't think about it in terms of doing the album I mean, we had very little live performance 
experience at that point from like yeah. a band standpoint outside of orchestra. Yeah. In orchestra, yeah. you got your music. So you do. Yep. But that's because there's a lot of doesn't really riff in the same way. Yeah, no, it it does not. I agree. It's way it's much easier to remember. It's also much easier to remember songs I have written. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I get that. That's true. Man, Matt and I like totally lost a song during COVID. It was such a bummer. Oh no. Yeah, it was like most of the way done, or we had like just kind of put some finishing touches on it, and then we didn't practice for like, you know, a okay. year, year yeah. and a half. And then when we got back, we uh, <laughs> it was the most like, all right, can we kind of let's try and bring it back? And after like fifteen minutes of like just jumping into things and then immediately aborting them because we're like, that's not it. Yeah. Yeah, I had a recording on a phone app, but at some point during COVID, my iPhone updated and that app didn't. And it just literally like my phone would not let me open it anymore. Oh, that's terrible. I've listened to a lot of interviews with artists. The most recent one was Corey Wong of Wolfpack and Corey Wong and I don't know, like 14 other bands or projects or whatever that guy does. Um, Mm -hmm. He has a podcast through, I think, guitar player, and he was interviewing John Mayer, and the two of them were talking about how, like, with songwriting, sometimes when a song hits you, like, if you don't dial in and just get it down, you lose it. And yeah. Yeah. Oh, 100%. It really does happen. Yeah. They were talking about the worst... Thing that can happen is like when you've been at the studio all day trying to work a song or you just kind of get to a roadblock and so you're driving home and maybe you've got whatever a 40 minute drive and halfway through the drive it hits you mm-hmm. and you don't have anything to capture I've been that there. i've been there it sucks yeah not good yeah you can oh, I wanted... you can voice memo but that's the best you got Matt laughs at me a lot at practice because I have a lot of voicemails of me just like humming melodies into my phone. <laughs> so anytime I'm like, yeah, let me pull up that really quick and dirty recording we did in the middle of practice to like remind ourselves of what things were next time. It's a bunch of me scrolling through like mid traffic voice memos of me like humming a melody idea. <laughs> You're like, nope, not that one. Nope, that's yep. not it either. Uh, nope, it's not that one. Yeah, it's rough. He's a saint for yeah. putting up with you. <laughs> what was I going to say? Oh, I wanted to jump back to. There's a really good band called the OCs. Okay, play in Austin a lot, and okay. they, having seen them, there was a festival show that we caught them at. They like three songs into the thing, we're like, man, our uh, our new album is like way more psyche. And we were going to kind of like do some more of that. But y'all are like. Like half the crowd right now is a mosh pit. So. <laughs> we're just going to keep doing that if people want. And like. <laughs> I don't know if y'all calm down. We might do some more psych stuff. So if you want the psych stuff. Get people to calm down. But for right now y'all seem to be digging this. And the whole <laughs> crowd just like. 
blew up and just continued to lit up mosh. I mean, I feel yeah. like when you when you give the crowd that kind of attention, it energizes it in a whole new way. Yeah. Which is awesome. Like you said, it's great to have a band that can do that on the fly. It's good to have a set list. Don't get me wrong. It's great to come prepared and be ready to go. But to have that that flexibility to give people a next level show is it's icing on the cake for a band. Yeah. It's very skilled. Yeah. There's an album by Jackson Brown. It's actually two albums by Jackson Brown that I love. They're solo acoustic performances of his where I think it's pieced together from a couple different shows, each of the albums. But what he did was had these solo shows where he's got a plethora of guitars and a piano on stage. And he mostly just takes requests from the crowd and plays songs and tells stories about him. He gives background on him and like, it's like extended VH1 storytellers for anyone who <laughs> remembers that. But he even says to the crowd that he's he wants to take requests for those songs that he might not remember. <laughs> he wants to go and take like far-reaching stuff and he'll give it a try and even goes into a story where he played Peaceful Easy Feeling by the Eagles because Jackson Brown actually co-wrote some songs with the Eagles. I guess he used to live with one of them. He also lived with Clapton for a little bit, but uh, he co-wrote Take It Easy. He co-wrote Peaceful Easy Feeling. And I guess while playing Peaceful Easy Feeling, he got one of the chorus lines wrong. And he said he could hear the entire crowd collectively go, <sighs> and he stopped playing. He goes, what? And they had this whole back and forth with the crowd of what the right lyric is supposed to be. <laughs> and, That's amazing. And I guess the, the final of it was like, he said it's supposed to be what a woman can do. He said what a woman can do for a man. And the whole crowd sighs. And the one guy goes, your soul. It's what a woman can do for your soul. And he goes, well, that doesn't sound like how I wrote it. <laughs> okay and he just like launched back into the song playing it but he tells <laughs> a couple awesome. a couple weird funny stories about that of like stuff that he wrote that he doesn't remember or lyrics that he's gotten wrong singing it live in these settings but i just thought that was wild like he's got a couple I say a couple. He's probably got 15 guitars up there tuned in different ways and whatever. And he's just ready to give whatever the crowd wants a try. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, and that's crazy Opeth, next level. When I saw Opeth, they just like took requests or that's a cool. request. That's cool. Yeah. They were like, we got he even said he's like I only have this one guitar on stage right now. I'm not having our tech come out with another one. So like, depending on the song, it might be a, a more slower doom metal version of it. But he's <laughs> like, I'll, what do you want to do? <laughs> I will give it a try. 
So yeah, like people read some like yelled some stuff out and he's like, All right, here's that one, super doomy version. <laughs> and he'd play like a minute of it and be like, What else? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, he was clearly having some fun with it. I liked it. Nice. Yeah. The Jackson Brown bit actually reminds me of a an embarrassing moment I had when you and I were in college. So it was during open mic nights. There was a gaggle of people just a couple years younger than us, probably high school students at the time. And one of their dads came with them and the dad got up with an acoustic and played take it easy. And I had very, very limited knowledge of music at the time. Either of my parents were very interested in music. And so my dad had like two Alabama cassettes. Uh, and then once my dad got CDs, he really only had the Top Gun soundtrack, Leonard Skinner's Greatest Hits, an Eric Clapton Greatest Hits CD, and Jackson Brown's Greatest Hits. And so I found the Jackson Brown solo acoustic stuff just based off of being interested in his. But most of my music knowledge at that point was radio stuff and things like that. So I say that because he played Take It Easy, which is traditionally by the eagles but i only mm -hmm. knew it from the jackson brown solo thing so afterwards like i went up to him and i complimented him i was like man that was a really good jackson brown rendition or like a, that, that was some good jackson brown and he looked super offended and just looked at me like 40 year old man looks me dead in the face and he's like it's the eagles and that was it and i was like okay i feel really awkward now I'm going to mm -hmm. go back and sit in a corner for a bit. Thanks. Mm. <laughs> so that was, that was what that made me think of just now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. It actually makes me feel like I don't want to do that to anybody. If they ever mistake anything that I were to play at an open bank night. Yeah. Unless somebody is like deliberately being a dick. Like, yeah. If somebody you, comes up to say good like job, not, like yeah. if you play Hurt by Johnny Cash and somebody comes up and they're like, hey, man, that was some really good Sturgill Simpson. You're like, huh? Oh, thanks. Yeah. I mean, yeah. especially Ask if them where they've heard what they've heard or something. I don't know. Yeah. And you could even like as a heads up, I don't know. I think it might have been this person originally. Yeah. Like, it's still good to like cue them in on, you know, the original. Yeah, but like there's nicer ways to do it. <laughs> yep, brings us back to uh, Rick Rubin, because an episode of Last Vestige is not complete without a Rick Rubin reference, or John Mayer, or John Mayer. But we've hit that Mayer. one. So yep, yep. Hey man, some some things you just come come around to, and you're like, no, this is actually really good. Although his guitar <laughs> playing is. Uh, really hard to replicate mm. because the man is anatomically just different. His thumb is longer <laughs> than the average person. Okay. So he does some weird like wraparound thumb stuff like Stevie Ray Vaughan or Jimi Hendrix. That is just the reach is unnatural. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I've been trying to work on some some harder stuff 
that that challenges my playing. So I've been listening to or looking up like Lindsey Buckingham stuff, Fleetwood Mac stuff. His his finger picking style is really intricate, especially mm-hmm. on I think it's Never Going Back off of Rumors. Mm-hmm. And so I've been working on stuff like that just to kind of challenge myself because I mostly play alone. I don't have any accompaniment. So then I go the route of how can I play my bass and and melody at the same time? How can I slap my strings for a snare? How can I do whatever? Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it's been fun and challenging. Lindsey Buckingham is is a wildly good guitarist. Um, Yeah, Never Going Back Again is the song off of Rumors. And it's it's interesting syncopation in the the bass and the melody, the way it's played, and he sings it at the same time, which is just wild. I need to listen to more Fleetwood Mac. Just listen to Rumors. Rumors is a a fantastic album. Yeah, so good. There are a lot of songs on there that you might not even realize were by Fleetwood Mac that you've heard all over the place. Yeah, when. I've listened to it like once or twice, but I've never really gone in it on it in the way that I feel like I should. Maybe I'll pick that one time. We can dig <laughs> into rumors. Oh, something I did want to check back in on. I know we kind of talk some smack about electronic music genres on the Gex podcast, and I know yeah. that I do still hold that genres as a whole are slightly meaningless. <laughs> hear us trying to pin down what horror is as it's like it's a punk hip-hop metal industrial like (laughs) yeah um but i also did go and buy like two different electronic music history books and read one of them and i'm in the middle of the second one so interesting how is it so far it's good um i mean that's actually how we got to craft work yeah here because I didn't realize like how I knew they were big for since, but I didn't realize how big. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I I actually did enjoy that album. It was yeah, it was really good. Yeah, that I felt like in a way that was one of those albums where you have to kind of put yourself in the the headspace of the time it was made. Oh yeah. So that's something that I, it's it's something I've kind of picked up more since doing this podcast is understanding as far as time period where music fits and giving that some weight in my interpretation of it. Yeah. And I imagine art, I mean, art's kind of the same way when you look at some kinds of art or even more easily recognizable CG in movies and TV. When you watch old CG you're like, well, you know, this was still pretty good for the time. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Do you want to talk about anything you've been listening to? Sure. I mean, I've I've been listening to a lot more mainstream thing. If I go through my recently played music and kind of see. Sometimes I end up with things on recently played just because I am trying to find a certain sound that I recognize. That happens a lot. Like I got that. I heard a song or a sound and I'm like, oh, I feel like I know that and I go digging. But I've been listening to a lot of stuff in an attempt to play it or figure out how to play it. So I've got some some stuff by Ray LaMontagne. 
Um, I took a jump back to Integrity Blues, the Jimmy Eat World album. Because mm. It's great. Nice. Especially when you get to pass the baby and Jimmy Eat World just tries to be Tool for a little bit, which was <laughs> always a, a fun little surprise on that album. Uh, I've got an album I go back to pretty often called The Road from Memphis by Booker T. Jones. Okay. Which it's Booker T. Jones was from the group Booker T. and the MGs. And so if you've ever watched, is it, I think it's in Pulp Fiction that the song Green Onions is on the soundtrack. But the song Green Onions by Booker T and the MGs is super well known. If you don't think you know it, when you look <laughs> it up, you'll realize you've heard it a lot. Booker T. Jones did an album that I stumbled across. I was like getting coffee at Starbucks one time back when Starbucks sold CDs. Oh, yeah. And they, you know, they would have like three CDs at the front counter and then maybe you buy it. Probably not, though. And so I grabbed this because on it it said that it's got uh, Questlove and Captain Kirk from The Roots featured on it. And so the two of them, along with other band members, play on these songs, and it sounds great. So I picked it up, and it's an awesome album. It's got some covers on it. It's got a couple originals. They do a cool cover of Crazy <laughs> by... Gnarls Barkley. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They do a cover of Crazy by Gnarls Barkley, but it's full instrumental. Nice. And so all the. Oh, weird. Booker T. Jones typically plays like uh, or mm-hmm. synth organ. Um, but so they do a cover of Crazy where Booker T. Jones plays all the, the lyrical melody bits too. And it's got a really cool sound to it. They oh, do yeah. Everything is Everything. They do a cover of The Seed by The Roots. But I got that album on here that I've been listening to. Sometimes when I'm working, I throw on Rye X. Have you ever listened to Rye X? No. Okay, maybe we'll do a Rye X. uh, It's like super chill. You might not like it. It's slow. Um, But it's like ambient, kind of moody. But a mix of like washed out folky acoustic and electronica. Okay. Hmm. Um, hmm. It sounds like the kind of music somebody would mood, like it's moody music. Somebody would play from like a beach cliff during a cloudy day. Mm, okay. It's right up your alley. Uh, mm. <laughs> um, I had my fitness test for work recently, and so I've got music that I listen to for that. I've got Wasting Light by the Foo Fighters, which makes for good running music. Uh, My actual fitness test run soundtrack that I made 10 years ago and still, or maybe over 10 years ago, that's still running strong, starts out with, it's going down by the executioners featuring mike shinoda mm-hmm. which i listen to like as warm-up type music then i start running to blow me away by breaking benjamin into bleed it out by lincoln park mostly for the the key shake rhythm 
then mm-hmm. Sleep Now in the Fire by Rage. And yep. then I threw on White Limo off of Wasting Life Wasting Life by the Foo Fighters for a high intensity closer. Because when you have All to right. run a mile and a half, like your career depends on it. <laughs> you want music that matches it. Yeah. Uh, also trying to find more stuff to figure out how to play. I went through a bunch of acoustic things like Alice in Chains, MTV Unplugged. There are two EPs, Sap and Jar of Flies. I listened to Eddie Vedder's new album, Earthling. Not bad. Right. It's like, I don't want to say it's like watered down Pearl Jam because I feel like that's <laughs> doing a disservice to an album that features Elton John, but mm-hmm. it it's like just more dialed in Eddie Vedder. It goes a little bit more inventive on some of the songs, a little more, I don't know, experimental. Because when you don't have the rest of the guys in Pearl Jam kind of reining it into what you think of as Pearl Jam, Eddie Vedder can kind of go off the reservation and do what he wants. But it's a good album. It's pretty cool. Listen to Nirvana's Unplugged from New York, their farewell album. Again, just kind of finding acoustic stuff to play. Yeah. Uh, I got the Nashville Sound by Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit. Awesome. I need to go back to that album. That uh, really I mean, good. I have a hard time picking what Jason Isbell stuff I think is the best. I kind of bounce around. Uh, I think his new album would actually be cool to do. The new Jason Isbell and the 400 unit because it's more giving each member of the band kind of space to do stuff and there are also a bunch of featured people on it. Okay. So his guitarist, who also has done solo stuff a lot, plays a song with them that's, I guess, off of his first solo album. And then Amanda Shires, his wife, has a song that she sings the whole thing on. There, it's just, it's a unique album for them. It's it's very different. It's not. It doesn't feel like just the standards. Yeah. Uh, and cool. then my daughter has recently taken a liking to Moon Hooch. So, oh, yeah. So we They're listen good. to Moon Hooch in the car. Specifically, their self-titled first album. She really likes that one. That's a fun one. So, They're cool. They're different. Yeah. So she likes that. And then I got a bunch of like kid, kid stuff on there from kids podcast. <laughs> because yeah. when, you got, when you have a six-year-old daughter, you just listen to things called melon's house party you know we were talking earlier about like bands and how tough it can be i one thing that i've really enjoyed up to this point working on this podcast is it doesn't feel tense and i don't feel like we have had real conflict through it even though we have had either differences of We've had differences of opinions or differences in schedules or struggles of not being able to make something work. Yeah. Mostly from my end because I'm horrendously difficult when it comes to scheduling. It's like you got a kid or something. Yeah. Yep. And that makes things challenging. Also, both of us live away from our families, but 
because when you have a kid, your family wants to come visit all the time. It throws <laughs> a wrench in a lot of plans and schedules. I can see that. And I have a an oddly demanding job. So I appreciate all of your flexibility in that regard. But I just think this has been fun. Like, yeah, no, making I've... a podcast has been fun and rewarding and it hasn't been a big hassle. And I'm sure that we could find ways to turn it into a hassle by trying to promote more or anything like that. But I don't I don't want to stop it feeling the way it feels right now. And I'm fine with that. Yeah, same. But yeah, it's it's been fun. It's been a huge learning experience. I think the two of us have done well in learning to communicate. One thing that I would say to anybody that wants to make a podcast is understand like communication is key. And if you can't communicate and be understanding of each other, your needs, wants, flexibility, whatever, um, it's just not going to work. I, I think through all of it, it's been a worthwhile experience and it, I totally would recommend anybody interested in trying it, give it a try because it's different. Yeah. For, it's definitely different from what you expect, but that doesn't <laughs> mean that you won't like what you end up with. But once yeah. you get started, you're going to find it is yeah. probably not entirely what you thought you were going to be creating. <laughs> it is more complicated than just like calling someone on the phone and pressing record. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can do it that way, too. We got a good system going so far. I've enjoyed it. I, I like where we're Same. at. And I want to do this episode just to kind of talk freely about that and things like that. I know we didn't at all get into why we do this or why we started or real musical backgrounds or history or anything, but I don't know. That's now just we got a that. secret for another day. Yeah, I was going to say, we got that in the bag for some other time to pull out. Thank you.